is postmodernism left-hand path? And as is my usual habit, I am not writing down anything or making any notes or anything to follow along. I'm just going to talk about uh, my experience and my opinions on this subject. You could say, um, rather than is postmodernism left-hand path, you could ask, is postmodernism good for anything? Does postmodernism lead towards personal success? And the answer to most of these, I'm going to argue, is no, it does not. So most people, I think, encounter the word postmodernism in relation to art, postmodern art. And so the first reaction that people have um, is that, oh, well, this is like a new art movement. It's beyond modernism. So they just, uh, most people in their mind, they just get, a, oh, this is just real crazy art. The, the next thing that happens is if they hear there's anyone who's against postmodernism, they'll like it. It's like, well, why are you against that art form? Are you trying to suppress art? And so to understand either of these, this is just very, the very surface impression, the very surface reaction, reactionary impression. We need to take a step back and look at what's going on underneath because there's quite a bit beneath the surface. But first I'll tell you about my personal experience so you don't think I'm just reading this stuff on the internet and coming up with it. As many of you know and I've talked about before on this show, I went to college in the early 90s at uh, University of Nebraska in Lincoln. And at the time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And so for various reasons, I was attracted to the Department of Sociology. The person that really inspired me to get into sociology was Harry Selden. Some may rec recognize the name. It's not a real person. It's a character from science fiction. It's a character from Isaac Asimov's Foundation trilogy, um, which those are books that I had read at the time. And one of the things these books talk about and that Harry Selden is a master of is something called psychohistory, which is the idea that uh, in the future, using computers and stuff like that, today we talk about algorithms and AI and stuff like that, using these tools like that, you can predict mass movements uh, amongst humanity to such a, a great accuracy that um, you're able to, Harry Selden using this technology is able to predict uh, various um, uh, apocalypses and, and dark ages before they occur um, within a galactic civilization. And so he's able to make certain precautions and plant certain seeds of knowledge that survive through these like dark periods. So it's an interesting idea. It corresponds with the idea of uh, esoteric knowledge. This is an idea in esotericism that uh, that higher knowledge is sort of in, is sort of uh, created within something that Gurdjieff called legomenisms, 
which is like writing or art that like survives, that will survive over periods of dark darkness, or periods of, of, of social chaos and upheaval, and then be available for schools of initiates in the future. So I was very intrigued by this idea at the time. And um, essentially what um, Harry Selden does in that book is, well, he's essentially a sociologist. He's a futuristic sociologist, or at least that's how I perceived it at the time. And so, um, and so those were the ideas under which I ended up uh, enrolling with the sociology department at, at UNL and taking soci working towards a bachelor's degree in sociology. Um, because I like this idea of, of being able to analyze mass movements of humanity. And, and this is one of the ways that they um, would distinguish sociology from psychology at the time. Psychology is understanding the individual psyche and sociology is understanding the, the results and movements of uh, m numbers of psyches, a, a great quantity of psyches, that which would compose a society. So that's kind of one perspective on sociology. Um, the other idea on sociology, the other element in there has to do with, um, you know, uh, inequality and, and oppression and social justice and stuff like that was like, that was like an element in it at the time, but it wasn't like a huge element until circa 1992 and the uh, uh, election of Bill Clinton into office, almost overnight, things started changing in the sociology department um, at UNL and, and really within the whole like academic uh, situation and yeah I was at a sm relatively small uni state university but as I see now it's happening on a mass scale everywhere and it's finally like seeping in um, to where um, I was at like there was um, you know I, I remember the first semester after that uh, election and everything there was like all new, you know, there's like all these new professors, all minorities. Um, there was um, the idea prevalent that I heard multiple times from different professors, even outside of sociology, other like, you know, like uh, my, my film studies um, professor, I remember like saying the same thing, the idea that you cannot be a racist if you are of a race that has ever been oppressed before, which we all understand now, uh, that is an idea from critical race theory. And those ideas started rolling out in the sociology uh, department at the time, my uh, social theory class, um, where we basically studied Karl Marx, my, uh, my uh, crime and delinquency class immediately turned all to like uh, racial issues. Um, so on and so forth. So at the same time that this happened, happened, this was going on, is around the first time I remember hearing the word postmodernism. It wasn't within the sociology department, it was from my artist friends. So most of my friends in college at the time were in the art department. I was like the token sociology guy. So then the next thing that happens is that my artist friends are talking about postmodernism 
and they're talking about Derrida, and they're talking about this word, deconstruction. And those are the key elements. It's been around, you know, ever since then, like 1992. That was my introduction to postmodernism. And, oh, I ate it up. I thought it was great. Oh, wow, that's really cool. It's cutting edge. See, one thing is that it represented our uh, generation. It seemed to represent youth. Oh, this is, we're beyond modern. Modern was the old world. We're beyond modernism. We're cutting edge, man. Um, so it really appealed to us. It's, the funny thing is I see it out there now and it's the same thing. I'm an old fuck now. And I can still see that this, uh, these ideas appeal to the younger generation with the same zest, zeal, the same vibe that I felt at that time. There's something about the ideas that are meant just to uh, entice and appeal to the spirit of youth. So let's start with deconstruction. Deconstructionism. So the idea here is that you, um, deconstruction is a tool to take a thing or a phenomenon or a concept or anything really, and to deconstruct, that means you deconstruct it. That means you take apart the component elements and you see, oh, this comes from that, this comes from that, that. You're breaking it down. Okay, that's great. The word that we used to use for that is analysis, you know, analyzing something. And then you also have uh, Socrates back in the day uh, had this idea of analyzing a thing to take apart its, or to reduce it to its component parts. And this is called Socratic reductionism, which has been around since the time of Socrates. So this is the first thing that I think is important to understand about deconstruction is that it is not a new concept. It's just a new fancy wrapper on a very old concept. Until you start talking about, uh, until you ask the question, to what end? So Socrates would say the reason that we're reducing to the component parts is to get to the truth about it. And Plato, the his, his student Plato, then comes along later and says, by reducing to the component parts, we're learning the, the, the pure essence of things. We're learning the forms of things. And this becomes very important in Plato's idea of, of the forms or the principles, which if you study um, Setianism, you know that this is a very uh, important tool uh, for uh, that Dr. Aquino used in approaching the phenomenon of isolate intelligence. The idea of the principle of isolate intelligence is very much a product of Socratic reductionism and Plato's forms. And to what end is all of that? Well, obviously, quite obviously, the end of all that is to understand the principle of isolate intelligence, to understand that as a um, what, what it is that I have within me and what is the potential within me, uh, what is my ability to evolve and come into being and all these other things. So 
the difference between that and, and deconstruction, deconstructionism does not really have a higher end in mind. You know, some people say we're going to deconstruct in order to put things back together. But the reality is that there is no end to deconstruction. If there is a, uh, if there's no higher purpose, you know, attributed to it, then there's no end to the deconstruction because then, oh, well, if you say there's a higher purpose to that, well, I can come back and deconstruct that. You can deconstruct endlessly, right? This means uh, deconstruction or reductionism for its own sake, right? And that's not the purpose of it. Socrates didn't say, hey, reduce everything just for the sake of reducing it. No, it's reducing things towards an end of finding out the truth about it. And reductionism is a tool. It's a tool for finding truth. It's a tool for understanding things. Analysis is a tool for understanding things, for using things more effectively, for um, you know whatever whatever higher purpose you might you might have in mind, but to use it for its own end, which is the um, the the literature surrounding deconstructionism indicates that that is the the, the purpose of it is that there is no higher, there is no end in it. If there is an end, if there is a goal, that automatically takes it out of the realm of deconstruct, takes it in a realm of like, you know, perceptual falsehood and therefore is invalid. And therefore that must also be deconstructed. So that's the first thing you have to understand about deconstruction is that there is no end to it and there is no higher purpose. And for that reason alone, I will say that it is not left-hand path because the whole purpose of the left-hand path is to pursue a higher purpose, a higher purpose of the evolution and reaffirmation of the individual. And the whole purpose of magic and the practice of black magic is to affirm that individuality and to achieve success and personal goals and life and, and, and all of these things. So therefore, endless deconstructionism is not left-hand path. And if you, even if you find value in, oh, I can deconstruct and take other component parts, my advice to you is to not use this this very new made up stuff to do so, why not just use the words that everyone understands that are established, you know, um, reductionism, analysis, these words have served us fine for thousands of years. Now, why did they decide that they even needed um, a new word? Why did they come up with this idea of deconstruction for a new word? So the names you generally hear are, are Foucault, Lyotard, Derrida, um, Rorty. And, you know, Derrida, I think, is the, the most popular one. And, and, and getting into the specifics of each of them is kind of beyond the scope of this uh, discussion right here. But why did they come up with this new word, deconstruction? Again, this all goes back to 1990, 1991, 
which which I already mentioned as when this significant change happened. The other significant change ha that happened during that time period was the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of Soviet communism in uh, Russia and the Eastern Bloc states, which was a huge geopolitical event um, that I, I, I cannot even express the significance of uh, to those who were, who were not around for it. So a lot of these uh, French socialists at the time and a great deal of American academia as well were very much in bed with uh, communism uh, at, at that time. And they pervade the mythologies that were coming out, the propaganda, Soviet propaganda that was coming out that was indicating that, oh, it was a perfect society and it's utopia over there and, and no one ever goes hungry. And of course, when that, uh, when the Soviet regime fell, all the truth came out. And so we know now the truth about the mass starvation and hunger and gulags and, and, and uh, the immense human suffering, uh, needless human suffering that was caused uh, by communism. So, so uh, Derrida and Foucault and these French socialists at the time were basically like, you know, they had all bought into that too. Now, there's a book by Derrida is very popular on all of this called um, The Ghosts of Marx. And this very much encapsulates the, the feeling at the time, which was, which was this. Communism has failed on an economic level, but the idea, the principle still burns eternal and there's still value in it. So let's like move, let's pivot it from the economic realm over to the realm of language, over to the realm of words. And so this is the first thing that deconstruction is really applied to is language. We deconstruct the language. And so they, uh, you know, Derrida, uh, so they come up with all these ideas like words are building blocks of power, that words are just arbitrary. They don't have any intrinsic meaning, but they're just used to uh, consolidate power and to discriminate against other, uh, other groups that don't have power. So from this has evolved um, all, of the, all of the problems with, with language that we have right now, and certain words you can't use, certain words betray privilege, um, and certain words are inherently uh, racist or sexist or meant to oppress like certain classes. And so we have to police speech. We have to come up with new words for things. Just like deconstruction was just a new word for analysis. You see this pattern repeated over and over and over again within the uh, socialist left wing of uh, contemporary civilization. The idea that words are just arbitrary building blocks of power, a left-hand path idea. And again here, the only answer to this is no, um, that idea is not valid now. And, and here's a couple of reasons. First of all, 
the whole practice of black magic just in general is based upon using words in a constructive manner. The idea that words can be um, utilized to create and that they're the basis of creation. And so this goes back to a really old idea, the idea of aeonic words, which is a Setian idea, which is a Thelemite idea, which even goes back to the Gnostics and is even found in uh, the Bible uh, in the passage in the uh, beginning of, in a uh, passage from the Gospel of John in the beginning was the word. The idea that from the utterance of a word, all creation sprang forth. This is an idea in uh, ancient Egyptian uh, religion as well. The idea that all creation came forth from the first utterance of a word by the first I am, the first coming into being of consciousness in the universe. Consciousness comes into being first, then it utters it speaks, it creates, it, uh, it intones a word, and that uh, establishes vibrations which go out and influence uh, the rest of the um, cosmos, as it were. So if you think that words are just arbitrary uh, building blocks of power, then, then it's a contradiction then to come back and say, that certain words like kefir or philema have an intrinsic power. If those words have an intrinsic power that is objective, that is the same in all places and all times, then it is not true that words are simply the building blocks of power. The reason is because left-hand path is based on the idea that there is a higher truth. Otherwise, it's not a path. Okay, I talked about that in the in the in in in, in the last episode. Some people are are into Satanism, um, and they don't really consider it a path at all. It really is just an identity an identity thing. In which case, that is none of this shit I'm talking about matters at all. It's not a big deal. Deconstruction doesn't lead anywhere because they're not here to be going somewhere with it. Um, but if you did come into this with the expectation that it will be a path that you will find uh, tools that will help you perceive uh, some kind of truth about the self or about the world that you live in, then uh, I suggest that you consider that ideas like deconstructionism um, are really uh, only a hindrance in that pursuit and ultimately don't really help at all. This is from uh, Explaining Postmodernism by Stephen R. Hicks. And all these things I'm talking about uh, is not a stretch at all. If you if you dig and you research, you'll see that um, these are exactly the things that Derrida and Foucault and all these guys wrote, and they said these things. If you dig deep enough, so I'll share some of that with you. A really good resource on this is 
the book Explaining Postmodernism by Stephen R. Hicks, which you can find a, a free PDF of online if you go search for those things, search for Explaining Postmodernism. And this is one of, you know, if you go look for books on postmodernism, you're mostly going to find pro books, very few con books. And it's it's the same uh, problem that you find, you know, with, with economics. If you just go search for it, all the search engines and everything, they lead you towards that. Just like the, in economics, it will all lead you towards Marxist-influenced things. And postmodernism is ultimately uh, another Marxian um, Marxian-derived movement. Michel Foucault has identified the major targets. All my analyses are against the idea of universal necessities in human existence. Such necessities must be swept aside as baggage from the past. It is meaningless to speak in the name of or against reason, truth, or knowledge. So if reason, truth and knowledge are meaningless then then there is no reason to follow any path of any kind no reason whatsoever let alone left-hand path richard wardy has elaborated on that theme explaining that it is not to say that postmodernism is true or that it offers knowledge such assertions would be self-contradictory so postmodernists must use language ironically. The difficulty, and here's the he quotes, the difficulty faced by a philosopher who, like myself, is sympathetic to this suggestion, for example, Foucault's, one who thinks of himself as auxiliary to the poet rather than to the physicist, is to avoid hinting that this suggestion gets something right, that my sort of philosophy corresponds to the way things really are. For this talk of correspondence brings back just the idea my sort of philosopher wants to get rid of, the idea that the world or the self has an intrinsic nature. So right, that, that's a very clear statement. We want to get rid of the idea that the world or the self has an intrinsic nature. That is not left-hand path. It's not Setian. It's certainly not Setian, and it's not Satanic either. In a pure Satanic mold, uh, Anton LaVey was very clear that the intrinsic nature of the self is self-interest, rational self-interest, and carnality. And um, in, in Setianism, uh, and embraces that idea and also embraces the idea that the intrinsic nature of the self um, is is isolated intelligence and is the wish to know the self and is the wish to become um so i mean if you embrace postmodernism and don't believe there's an intrinsic nature then that's in conflict uh with these left-hand path ideas so hicks continues if there's no world or self to understand and get right on their terms then what is the purpose of thought or action? Having deconstructed reason, truth, and the idea of the correspondence of thought to reality, and then set them aside, reason, writes Foucault, is the ultimate language of madness. There is nothing to guide or constrain our thoughts and feelings. 
so we can do or say whatever we feel like. Deconstruction, Stanley Fish confesses happily, relieves me of the obligation to be right and demands only that I be interesting. So there you have it. That's the basis of uh, postmodernism. We might delve into more of this later um, if you think you can tolerate it. Until then, champion reason. Be a champion of reason. Be a champion of truth. Be a champion of rational self-interest. And keep those dark fires burning. Thank you.